Hi, I'm Austin. I'm Alex. And you're listening to One Last Breath, an autopsy of awful albums. Where we discuss controversial, bizarre, divisive, and downright abysmal albums. In today's episode, we'll be talking about the 14th studio album by thrash metal band Megadeth. 14th? Yep, 14th. Now they're up to 16. It's hard enough to write 14 fucking songs. <laughs> yeah, 14 but... full lengths? I mean... I guess it's been, what, there's... 70 years since they started making music? Uh, 89. <laughs> but no, there's crazier uh, amount of albums out there from bands. I mean, Luckily you ever heard not. of Buckethead? <laughs> Luckily not that many from Lou Reed. Oh, uh, yeah, I can't remember. I think he's like six. Six? He had a shit ton. I don't fucking you know, know. You've already forgot the I, facts I dropped in that first episode? I'm glad I have. <laughs> no, I think he had about the same. But anyways, um, yeah, their 14th album titled Super Collider. Megadeth, along with the other members of the Big Four, has struggled to find consistency since their peak of popularity in the mid-80s through early 90s. The band's classic era began with their debut on June 12th of 1985, Killing Is My Business and Business Is Good. Business Me is good. It is good. Megadeth was formed in its earliest stages in 1983, originally named Fallen Angel. <clears throat> Founder Dave Mustaine created the band after being kicked out of Metallica for substance abuse as well as conflict with other members of the band. After going through multiple different members, Megadeth settled on a lineup for their first demo, Last Rites, which had Dave Mustaine on <clears throat> excuse me. Dave Mustaine on vocals and guitar. David Ellison on bass, and Lee Rosh on drums. Why did I think Dave Mustaine was the bassist? You thought he was the bassist? I don't know why. Huh. It's it's Tom Araya's lead. Yeah, Tom Araya. I knew one of the thrash guys had a bassist lead. For some reason, my mind was like, it's Mega Dave. Mega Dave? Nah, he fucking, he plays lead guitar and does vocals. Oh, shit. I mean, he, he's... Wait, so he does the solos and shit? I mean... They're kind of one of those bands that trade off solos. Okay, I was like, because like, like they'll trade off lead parts. The solos are sick. Yeah, I mean, all throughout their history, they yeah. had really good. So I mean, Dave one thing you can say about Megadeth, they're probably the most technically skilled of the thrash bands. Yeah, I would say so. I'd say probably them and then Metallica. Well, at least of the big four. No, yeah. like not well, like not, for all not of like thrash. all of thrash. Yeah, you're not. The... I'm not a thrash expert. I listen <laughs> to the big four and whatever the fuck you consider Pantera. <laughs> yeah, I listen to a good amount of thrash, but yeah, considering just the big four, Megadeth is definitely the most technically proficient. I would say, but uh, I mean, yeah, Dave Mustaine is. I mean, say what you want to about the guy, but he's talented as fuck. <laughs> yeah, and a very good songwriter Guitar for the most part. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, this this lineup of Mustaine, Ellison, and Rosh would not last, as we will find out. They have gone through many, 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 many lineup changes throughout their history. But uh, this first demo, Last Rites, garnered enough attention, attention to gain notice of Combat Records, who gave the band an $8,000 budget for the recording of their debut, with the band spending around 4000 of it on drugs, alcohol, and food. Okay, first, <laughs> two things. Same. One... When did record labels stop having cool names like Combat Record? Like, you yeah. see Combat Records, you're like, I'm going to listen to this and play some fucking Halo. Dude, like Combat Records. Um... Sumerian was the last cool one I can remember. Yeah, I mean, that early, early, not early, old-ish, like early, or late 2000s, early 2010s, like Metalcore. Yeah, but it, like, it was record like Sumerian, Rise. Uh, Hopeless. Hopeless, like those were fine, but like Combat Records. Yeah. Uh, second, 
When did bands stop, stop spending all of their uh, sign-on bonus on drugs? <laughs> I don't know. That was cool. That was a dope thing to do. Yeah, just fuck it. We're spending all this on drugs, alcohol, and food. But, um... Yeah, I'm trying to think of other ones. There's Combat Records, M Metal Blade. Metal Blade? That's yeah. so sick. I was gonna say Metal Hammer. That, that's a and fucking magazine. Like, and now it's just like, Piss Records, a subsidiary of Sony. Piss Records. Now, there's still some cool ones out there, like more... I mean, like this was like it's like, un like indie, un underground metal, yeah. All the big ones are subsidiary of Sony. Yeah, exactly. But no, there's a lot of cool independent labels out there of like uh, newer like death I mean, and like, thrash and just underground metal bands. Ramen and shit. or whatever the fuck it's called is still fueled by ramen. Fueled by ramen. I think that's still a record label. Probably, but either way, um, but yeah, that spending of half their budget forced the band to have to fire the original producer and self-produce the album. The band ditched Lee Rosh and recruited Gar Samuelson. <laughs> I fucking love that name. Gar. Gar Samuelson. <laughs> My boy Gar. That's an orc. Yeah. Along with the addition of Chris Poland on guitar. Uh, Killing Is My Business is the only Megadeth album to date to not chart on Billboard. Do and this one's self-produced? Because, mm -hmm. okay, I only had time to listen to two Megadeth albums. Unfortunately, this one a lot, and that one once. And that one's oh, really? really good. Really? I mean, yeah, it is. I you need I, to. I'm, I need to dive as we'll more get to, into Mega Dave. Yeah, as we'll, as we'll get to later. I this got me on a Megadeth kick because I wanted to like see why because I had never heard this album before, like anything from it. Super yeah, quieter that I is. I didn't even know it existed. I kind of assumed <laughs> they stopped making music in the nineties. Yeah, no, I, I knew it existed. Like I've known of, like I've I've seen all their albums. Like I've known of all of them, and I've heard a few. I mean, you've heard like the ones that were on Guitar Hero, like yeah. "Just Say We Fight." Like that's that was that's like a newer late, one. that was late two thousands. Megadeth. In my mind, it all was in the nineties, and they kind of saw what Metallica did wrong. And was like, you know, maybe we should stop making music. No, and little did you know, they have by far the most records out of any of the big four. <laughs> Which is weird because Metallica. Every thrash band should look at Metallica and be like, "This is how many records you can make." Dude, you can make exactly up until they released Load Reload, and then you should probably stop. Yeah. Dude, even some of the uh, non-Big Four bands, like fucking Overkill, like I think they have like 20, if not if not 20, like right under 20 albums. Like, and they, I mean, I haven't listened to a lot of Overkill. I've listened to like their older stuff, but I've heard that their newer stuff is like really fucking good. How can you make Thrash for that long? I don't know. Because well, I learned some bands find a way to do I, it. I've been learning. Um, fuck it. So Megadeth songs like da 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 da. Oh, Holy Wars. I've been learning Holy Wars. Mm. That's hard to play. That hurts. Yeah. It's very painful to play. And you tell me these motherfuckers have been doing this for forty years. Yeah, exactly. They've been playing that shit for forty fucking. Well, not quite forty. They've been staying almost long. Actually, yeah, exactly forty for Megadeth. Yeah, they started in eighty three. Yeah, it's been exactly forty years that they've been doing the same shit, and it's not easy to play. And it. And, and Damien Stain fucking, uh, as we'll get to later, I'll mention he had, like, an injury and fucking didn't yeah, lost, he, yeah. I, I know about that because he slept, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and fucking toilet. He, like, yeah. slept on his arm wrong and, like, pinched a nerve and, like, lost half the feeling in his arm. That's why I'm so afraid to sleep on my side, but, like, I have to. It's the only way I can comfortably sleep. Oh, yeah, I sleep on my side. But I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pinch a nerve. I'm gonna pull, I'm gonna pull a fucking Dave Mustaine. Well, no, his was, he went, yeah, we'll just go ahead and spoil it all. He went to, I, he had some... I can't remember. I don't even know if I got this this part down in my notes, but he had some sort of like injury or sickness, and uh, 
was prescribed medicine and he relapsed on like because he he used yeah. to, he was an addict for like ten years As or so. Most musicians, yeah. at this level. So are. he relapsed and he went to rehab and he fell asleep on a chair. That's that's how on like a oh, metal chair and it pinched a nerve in his back. Yeah, and like his arm like up. I guess he had like his left arm behind his back on the metal chair and he fell asleep like that and that's how it happened. Oh, his fucking his fucking fretting hand. Yeah. Yeah, because he, he's, a, he's a normal guitarist. I'm pretty sure, yeah. I don't think he's left-handed or nothing. No, I don't think so. So, yeah. God damn. No, okay, it, it makes sense why the um, the actual rhythm parts are a lot more toned down now with that mm. in mind. Because that happened early 2000s, late 90s? It was 2002. Uh, 2000, no, I think it was 2001. Some, okay. Something in there, 2000. But you can tell that like the, uh, the rhythm parts are toned down so that he has time to rest that arm. Yeah. But, uh... Where was I? Oh yeah, Killing Is My Business is actually the only Megadeth album to date to not chart on Billboard due to being released on an indie label with very little promotion to speak of. It did, however, receive mostly positive reviews from critics and is now considered a classic and pioneering album in thrash metal. The same can be said about the band's three next albums. Following up was their debut, or following up their debut was Peace Sells, But Who's Buying on September 19th of 1986. That is the only Megadeth album I've listened to before this endeavor. You never listened to Rust in Peace? No. What I was f- like, Peace Tells Me Who's Buying? I I know I know that song. Rust in Peace has fucking Holy Wars. Uh, Anger 18. I've listened to those songs. Like, I've listened to a lot of Megadeth. I've not listened to a lot of Megadeth albums. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Megadeth, especially because, like, Megadeth was all over Guitar Hero. Yeah, exactly. Was I mean, because their songs are was fucking it, hard. Um, Warriors of Rock, those, yeah. like, oh, the outro is just five uh, Megadeth songs in a row? Yeah, I had, like, This Day We Fight, Sudden Death, and one other. But they were all, like, well, it had Holy Wars. Had, I think it ended with Holy Wars yeah. Punishment Due. Yeah, but it had, like, three, like, late 2000s Megadeth songs yeah, on there, like too. Yeah, it had, like, six Megadeth songs on it. Yeah, and I think it, it probably had DLC, They should have gotten too. their own Guitar Hero, not Metallica. Guitar yeah. Metallica, mid. I mean, they, they should have just done, like, Guitar Hero Big Four. Like, that would have been pretty fucking sick. Guitar Hero Pantera. <laughs> the real Big Four. Guitar Hero Nickelback. The pioneers of all metal. <laughs> but, um... But yeah, the band was, this time, was given a $25,000 budget from Combat Records. This, How much did they spend on drugs? Eh, I guess none this time. And oh. this time, they hired an actual producer in Randy Burns... Shortly after the band finished up the album, they were approached by Capitol Records, who ended up signing the band. They also employed Paul Landy to remix the original mixes done by Randy Burns. So yeah, oh. they just they just made it with him, and then Capitol was like, "No, nah, fuck you, we're getting our own dude." You, which uh, on Spotify you can listen to the original you can listen mix. To the original, okay. It was for like an anniversary. It, is it better? I didn't listen to the entirety of it. I like for Peace Cells, like the actual song Peace Cells, and like um uh. Wake Up Dead, like some of the, some of the songs on the album, I listened to like the regular version and then the um, Randy Burns mix version, and they sound essentially the same. Okay. I mean the cap, the one from Paul Landy, like the one that ended up making it, was actually like probably a little better. That makes sense. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Capitol Records has a lot more money. Uh, yeah, exactly. A record label I've never heard of with a cooler name. <laughs> the yeah. cooler the name of the record label, the less money they're giving you. Yeah, no, Combat Records was sick. Like, they were important in the back in the day. Like, them and Metal Blade, like I was saying, and some other 
some other labels, but um, we should start our own record label called One Last Breath. One Last Breath label. We only sign shitty artists. So if you want to be signed, if you make really bad music, hit us up. We'll give you a seven dollar advance. Seven dollar. Uh, <laughs> you can spend you... it on a pack of Marlboros and an Arizona tea. <laughs> uh, we will personally mix and master your album for you. Um, and I will give you seventeen percent of album sales. And you get all of your merch and touring money. So you'll probably make about 50 cents. <laughs> yeah, uh, what I think is a good deal. Yeah. You get your music out there. And we'll cover your album, obviously, because yeah, we'll it'll cover be your shitty. Album. It'll be great. You know what? Honestly, <laughs> it comes with built in promotion. Built in promotion. Um, but this sophomore effort became their first of. I forgot the number. I said first of straight albums. First of, I believe, five straight albums. First to, of straight albums. <laughs> to sell sell platinum or higher, and receive critical acclaim, pretty much improving on everything Killing Is My Business did. In 1987, after finishing up touring for Peace Cells, Mustaine fired both Poland and Samuelson for substance abuse, which I find very ironic because he got fired from Metallica for being an alcoholic. I think he is... He's a diva. He's the original Ronnie Radke. Yeah, honestly. Like, he's just like... He just does anything to get his name he in got the headlines. Kicked of, he got kicked out of one band. And then formed another band that is better than the original band. Yeah, at least he wasn't a co-conspirator to murder or whatever the fuck you want to call that it. That we know of. That we know of. Oh, yeah, that we know of. He actually, oh, God, he actually flipped over the bus that killed Cliff Burton from <laughs> Sorry if that was dark, but... Hey, um, for legal reasons, that is a joke. We are not accusing him of anything. Please do not sue me. Please do not come after me, Daddy Dave. Dave, we love you. Mega Dave. Come on the podcast. Daddy Mega Dave. We'll cover your good albums, I promise. <laughs> But uh, Megadeth and ended up employing Samuelson's drum tech, Chuck Baylor, as his replacement. And, Ooh, yeah, that has to hurt. Yeah, and brought in Jeff Young on guitar. They headed to the studio to record their third album, So Far, So Good, So What. The album was released on January 19th of 1988 to more critical acclaim, although for whatever reason it's kind of like the black sheep of the bunch in early Megadeth output. Uh, it's kind of kind of had like more mixed reviews over recent years. I've never heard of it. Exactly. Yeah. So like that. That yeah. says a lot. Cause like you. Yeah, most you people hear feel about like Megadeth it, albums. Yeah, most people. I mean, I won't say most people, but I feel like people that don't like you, like yeah, that, people who are like service level Megadeth. Fans. Yeah, it's like they. It kind of just feels like it went from peace cells to rest in peace. But yeah, no, there's exactly. an album between. It, huh. I mean, I think it's good. I, I think I'm it's, sure it is. Like, yeah, I think I, I, I personally think I like it better than. Killing is my business, but it's definitely not as good as Peace Sells or Rust in Peace for me, but it's still a good album. I mean, it's like, I wouldn't call it, it's not the sophomore slump because it's their third album, mm. but it's their second, like, real album. Yeah. Like, their first album is kind of like a, look, we're a band, hurt to dirt to dirt. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's it's weird because, I mean, as, as I said, like, they had five straight platinum albums, this one included, and it charted on Billboard, and it, I mean... It got critical acclaim, so I don't I don't really know exactly how it became just kind of that forgotten album, but it's it's a good one. Uh, but after the album, Usain once again fired his guitarist and drummer, this time because he suspected Jeff Young was messing around with his girlfriend, and he was noticing problems, whether it was drug or performance problems, it wasn't really specified with Chuck Baylor, and ended up replacing him with... His drum tech. <laughs> oh, my. Okay, so if you want a job, because if you want a really good job as a musician for one album, become a drum tech for Megadeth, yeah, apparently. Yeah, I, so. I mean, this is the last time it happened, but yeah, I guess it was a little trend there. But ne yeah. Also, never trust your drum tech. <laughs> yeah, never trust your drum tech. 
Never trust nobody, not even your drum tech. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this time the drum tech was Nick Menza, and then uh, Young was replaced with Marty Friedman. Oh, I know Marty Friedman. Yeah. That's a big name. Yeah, exactly. This this is considered by many to be the definitive lineup. Of yeah, Megadeth. I mean, Marty Friedman is an innovator in guitar. Yeah, I mean, Stane, Ellison, Friedman, and Menza, that's like the classic I Megadeth. know two of those people. <laughs> and of course, they're the guitarists. Yeah, exactly. Um, and with this uh, classic lineup, they ended up recording their magnum opus, Rust in Peace. Released on September 24th in 1990, it received the highest praise of any of their efforts by critics, and simply put, it's one of the most important and influential albums in thrash metal, metal in general, and music in general. It kind of, I feel like, Rust in Peace and Master of Puppets, probably like Rain, Rain and Blood. Blood, and then something by Anthrax. Probably Among the Living. I haven't listened to Anthrax, really. Um, I've heard Indians. Uh, that's from Among the Living. Okay, cool. Then, yeah, it's that. <laughs> Cotton Amash. Just, just the song Indians. You've heard Cotton Amash. Oh, yeah. And um, didn't they do something with uh, Bring the Noise with Public Enemy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, those three songs. Uh, sorry. Fire. A trio of those three songs. Master of <laughs> <laughs> Rust in Peace and Rain in Blood. That is, that is what makes the big four the big four. Yeah, exactly. But uh, the lineup uncharacteristically actually stayed intact for their next album, Countdown to Extinction. Oh, no more drum techs. Nope. Released on July 14th of 1992. It was the band's most commercially successful successful effort to date, becoming their first and only album to be certified double platinum. And it peaked at number two on Billboard, which was the band's highest position to date. It again received praise by critics who noted the album introducing a more mid-tempo, hard rock-inspired, and mainstream vibe to Megadeth's established sound, but still maintaining the thrash metal that made them famous. Yeah. And that's the one that has uh, Sweating Bullets, Sweating Symphony of Destruction. <laughs> it's, it's a good album. has has some bangers on there. Any, any album that has Hello Me, Meet the Real Me, <laughs> that's a good album. Banger. Banger. Every Megadeth album should just start with him saying that. Hello, me. Hello, me. Meet the real me. And the lineup actually continued with the next two albums, Euthanasia and Cryptic Writings, as the the trend of uh, them going towards a more commercial, commercially viable metal sound. I don't know why, but the name of that album always reminds me of uh, well, Chinese you, Democracy. Euthanasia? Yeah, I don't know why. I mean, I guess I could see that. I don't know. Like, my brain's <laughs> just like, oh, Chinese Democracy by Guns N' Roses. Oh, God. We gotta cover that at some point. God, I I don't even. I'm not even big on good Guns and Roses. <laughs> like they're I, they're just all right to me. I don't even. I don't respect the Guns nor the Roses. <laughs> I respect the end. I respect the end. That this, end is putting in work. <laughs> putting in work. Sorry, putting mm, putting work. in work. Uh, but yeah, Euthanasia was released on November first, in nineteen ninety four, and was the last album to be certified platinum by the band. It received positive reviews. Cryptic Writings was released on June 17th of 1997 and became the last album from the band to be certified, this time only at gold. It also received uh, pretty mixed reviews from critics, as at this point the band was essentially making kind of alternative metal. Mm, uh, I mean, I like alternative metal. I mean, I, I really... Maybe not from Dave Mustaine. I mean, I, I'm going to admit, um, I'm not going to give my thoughts on like every Megadeth album, because it's a lot, but like I said... Um, yeah, it'd be 14 thoughts. yeah. Sixteen thoughts. They've oh, had two shit. more since uh, Super Collider. Isn't that that Young Gravy song? <laughs> Sixteen thoughts. But um, I was gonna say. Uh, so yeah, I listened to all their albums to kind of get the feel of why Super Collider was so hated, and I really like Cryptic Writings. Like honestly, 
like it better than Euthanasia, and I might even like it better than Countdown to Extinction, which is probably a hot take. Oh, shit. Countdown uh, to Extinction? canceled. <laughs> I mean, Countdown to Extinction definitely has, like, like, the best songs on it are better than the best songs on Cryptic Writings to me, but overall, I think I like Cryptic Writings better, and then Euthanasia, I just... Like, I even listened to it, like, three times, because I was like, what do I... Because it had pretty high, like, praise from fans and critics, so I was like, why do I not really like this one? Uh, I don't I don't really know, it just didn't really stick with me, but Cryptic Writings is kind of underrated, in my opinion. But... Right here first, y'all. Cryptic <laughs> Writing. Listen to... It's the best Megadeth album. Right <laughs> yeah. here first. Oh, yeah, it's the best. <laughs> um... Yeah, and then Nick Menza was dismissed from the band after discovering a tumor, which turned out to be benign. But while in the hospital, Mustaine reportedly called Menza to tell him his duties weren't needed anymore. And his drum tech stepped <laughs> up. Just, <laughs> no, he was replaced by some dude named Jimmy DeGrasso. Never. I I think Jimmy DeGrasso is from a famous family. Famous family? I think I've heard the DeGrasso name. I have no idea. I, I mean, know. I might be wrong. Pretty, pretty I much. I might just be making shit up. Pretty much every member of Megadeth that. From about, I mean, I guess from about the first lineup change on was like people from other bands yeah. to varying levels of famous. Like there was only, I think, only two people I Are knew. You tell me, Vinnie Paul was at Megadeth. <laughs> yes, no, but uh, uh, he was actually, every other actually, band. one time I can't remember what album it was. I, I didn't write it down because I was like, it's it's enough that I have all the fucking members that have been replaced. I don't need to mention all the people that almost were in Megadeth, but. Uh, Kerry King from Slayer, he he toured with them at one point to fill in. I can't remember between what albums, but after someone was I fired. Like, I like that Slayer and Megadeth were friends. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he was going to join the band at one point, but I mean, it's kind of hard to be in two Two of the biggest sick. thrash bands in the world. Yeah. And then Dimebag at one point was a audition for Megadeth, but I don't know if it was because they had Nick Menza, but they didn't want... Uh, Vinny Paul to like yeah. he was like I won't join unless Vinny yeah can which come is along. which is how Dimebag ended up in Pantera was the opposite of that yeah but so uh so yeah he was almost in it fucking um I bet what really happened was Mega Mega Dave was like <laughs> man this kid is so much better than I am we can't he can't be in the band <laughs> I can't be shown up like that <laughs> which then, is weird because he Marty Friedman's in the band and like Marty Friedman is better than Dave Mustaine. Mm. I don't know. I won't. I won't get my input because I can't really. I can't really speak on it. As a guitarist, yeah, Marty as... Friedman is known as one of the best guitarists in the world. Uh, I didn't know Dave Mustaine was a guitarist until today. I thought he was the bassist. Yeah, I guess that's fair enough. <laughs> uh, there was there was a few people. Uh, it's kind of blanking me now, but there was like a random. Oh, fucking Slash was at one point. Ooh, considered that would have made the band worse. That would have made them. Yeah, that would have mega slash mega slash <laughs> mega roses. But, um... Guns and death? Guns and death. Uh, that kind of goes hard. <laughs> and then, uh, with their new drummer, Jimmy DeGrasso, the band released Risk on August 31st of 1999. Oh, wait, they made that board game? Yeah, they made it. Damn. The album was written as an attempt to break through onto mainstream rock radio, and Ooh. it was met with a mixed review from critics due to this decision, and less fans kind of unsure about the direction the band was heading towards. Yeah, this album's a... I'll get, I'll get to more thoughts about what my least favorite Megadeth albums are in uh, comparison to Super Collider. <laughs> oh, okay. I'll get to that later. Uh, but yeah, Risk is a pretty big stinker. Um, 
Shortly into the tour for Risk, Marty Friedman left the band as he wanted to continue down the route of mainstream appeal and Mustaine wanted to go back to the band's thrash metal roots. Good for, good for Dave. <laughs> yeah. Good for Dave. He was like, uh, nah, bro. We need to get back to our shit. Al Petrelli was his replacement. Never heard of him. But the next few albums of the band saw them doing just what Mustaine wished, returning to their roots, all to varying degrees of success. The World Needs a Hero was the first in this run of albums coming out on May 15th, 2001. It received mixed reviews, but generally was seen as an improvement upon Risk after... Oh, wait. There was a pause there. I was about to say it like it was the same sentence. But yeah, it was general, generally seen as an improvement upon Risk, but okay, still one of their lowest rated albums, but a little heavier than Risk was. But uh, after an arm injury... Sideline, uh, me stain. I almost said mega stain. Mega stain. <laughs> mega stain. Mega Dave. Uh, after an arm injury, sidelined me stain for a long period of time in 2002. He disbanded yeah. Megadeth with the injury leaving him temporarily unable to play guitar. After recovering, uh, me stain planned to release a solo album, which is essentially what happened, although contractual obligations forced it to be a release under the Megadeth name. The result was The System Has Failed, released on September 14th of 2004, and Musain was the only member of Megadeth at this point, as the rest of the album was performed by numerous session musicians. Uh, it received mostly positive reviews, as critics saw it as a return to form for Megadeth. Uh, Brothers, it really was Megadave. Yeah, it pretty, yeah, it really was Megadave at that point. Brothers Glenn and Sean Drover were recorded as the guitarist and drummer for Megadeth, and bass was filled by James Lomenzo. The lineup recorded uh, United Abominations, released on May 15th of 2007. It received positive reviews like its predecessor, and was seen as even more of a return to form for the band. And it also received the band's highest chart position at the, at the time since Euthanasia at number 8. Glenn Drover left the band in 2008 and was replaced by Chris Broderick, and next album, Endgame, was released on September 15th of 2009 to critical praise. It continued the upward trajectory of the band after a mid-career lull and is considered a highlight of Megadeth's later career. Okay, so they had an upward trajectory, and then what happened? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, that's Endgame was kind of the, like, starting... The second peak? Yeah, like, starting with System Has Failed and then United Abominations, they were kind of on a... Upward path in the mega. Their career is kind of shaped like a roller coaster. It really is. Yeah, they've had a lot of lot of ups and downs. But yeah, Endgame was seen as like, wow, Megadeth is kind of back on top. It, okay. I think it, I think it even won. Maybe didn't win a Grammy, but was nominated for a Grammy or something. Which I'd be funny if it was nominated for best thrash album. <laughs> in like what two thousand? You said two thousand eight. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Imagine being nominated for best thrash album two thousand nine and not winning. That's my head cannon. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I don't. There was one thrash album in 2009, and it was that. Yeah, I know Slayer released an album in 2009, but other than those two, I don't I don't know any other 2009 thrash albums. <laughs> Best thrash album, and it's just two nominees. <laughs> they both lose to, like, I don't know, Britney Spears. Britney Spears. <laughs> Nickelback. <laughs> all the right reasons. Or all the wrong reasons, whatever that shit's called. Um... James Lomenzo left the band a few months after Endgame was released, and original bassist Dave Ellison rejoined the band. With Ellison, Ellison back aboard the ship, the band released 13 on November 1st of 2011, and it received mostly positive reviews from critics, although some noted that mixed in with Megadeth's thrash sound that they've built back up over the uh, 2000s, that they kind of brought back in some like melodic hard rock 
elements, kind of kind of conjuring up memories of Risk. Yeah, I can hear the melodic hard rock element still. Yeah, exactly. Like, 13, which, this is another thing of why I don't really understand why Super Collider was so panned, because to me, 13 kind of had the same feel. Like, it had... It had some, it had more thrashy songs than Super Collider did, yeah. I think. Okay. But one, it had more songs and it was longer. So I feel like it had more just kind of hard rock songs. So it's like, I feel like people kind of knew what were coming. So I don't really know why Super Collider was like, holy fuck, like what it's the fuck the is this? It's the name. Like, bad name. You think so? Super Collider, bad name. Yeah, they should have just called it 14. 14, my <laughs> better name. 14. I am number four. <laughs> I am number Good four. movie. But, uh,. Uh, and this brings up to brings us to the topic of today's episode, Super Collider. Released on June 4th of two th- 2013, it received the worst critic review since 1999's Risk, and by far the most backlash from fans of the band since that very release. Negative assessments of the album mostly included that it was largely, largely hard rock rather than thrash metal, the band seemed to be phoned in and creatively dead, and the lyrics were forced and cringeworthy. Um, yeah... That's fair. Those are fair assessments. Uh, I mean... Some of them. Yeah, the lyric thing, like... I wouldn't say any of it's, like, hey, blatantly awful, but it's hey, mostly just there. Hey, Megadeth fans, how can you know that the lyrics are cringy when you can't fucking hear them? <laughs> we'll get to that. You thought that they were too low in the mix? Yeah, they're fucking... Half the songs, are, the vocals are buried. Huh. I didn't. I didn't catch I, that. I, I notated it every time it happened. I was like, I can't. Okay. I can't fucking hear these lyrics. Hmm. I didn't catch that. I thought the production was really good. Honestly, the production was really good for the instruments. For the instruments. Um. Jay Andrew of Metal Injection, in his four out of ten review of the album, said, "Perhaps the worst thing about Super Collider is how much of a tease it can be." Songs like Burn and Built for War all start out very promising, as if we're about to hear a solid late-era Megadeth song like Head Crusher, Sleepwalker, or Sudden Death. But no, in almost every case, the music devolves in a bland soup of mid-tempo mega-mush. I don't mind Megadeth going poppy. Cryptic Writings was awesome. But for God's sake, the title track sounds like a Nissan commercial. <laughs> I was like, eh, I-, I guess I can kind of see that. Did you did you get that other scathing review of the title track? Mm. The one that we found when we found the album. Oh no! I, okay, yeah. Here, go ahead I'll, and mention that. I will find it. You keep you keep talking. I will find that. I know it's on their Wikipedia. Yeah, I, for, I forgot about that. User Mickey T of write your of uh, write your music, which is just a just a user review, not a critic review. Gave the album a one out of five. Blasting the album, stating Megadeth really just went ahead and made their Saint Anger, huh? Well, it's definitely better than St. Anger because the production is actually listenable on here, but it doesn't help since the songs themselves have straight up fucking, or the songs themselves straight up fucking suck from the vocals to the instrumentation. If you thought Megadeth couldn't get any more corny than they did on 13, then you're in for a fucking treat because Super Collider is practically unbearable with how corny it is. As Megadeth straight up embraced some elements of cheesy boomer core dad rock on almost every track on this record, and that and it's that terrible. I mean, when your album has a vocal duet with the lead singer of Disturbed, you know that we have a bit of a shit show on our hands. What? <laughs> you, you didn't know that? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, fucking uh, Dance in the Rain. Okay. At the very end, it has um, David Draymond. I hate that. I found I found the uh, the review I was talking about. So, Dean Brown of Pop Matters uh, wrote a really critical review of the album, and he, ca- he characterized the title track 
as a ghastly attempt at arena rock that even Bon Jovi would have thought twice about releasing as a B-side. That's a that review had me like, oh fuck, this album's gonna suck, which we'll get into it, but I I really he don't. He did say that Kingmaker was good. He's rated positively, though noted that it seems to pillage Black Sabbath's Children of the it, Grave. It which does. It does. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like it does. One hundred percent. Yeah, we'll get to that later of of uh, thoughts on the title track, but. There were some positive reviews. Uh, Randy Van Horn Jr. of Blabbermouth.net concluded... I trust a man with four names. <laughs> Randy Van Horn Jr. He concluded, What saves Super Collider from becoming pure rubbish is the skill of its components. Every solo is worth keying in on. Dave Ellison has more glue than a first-grade art class. And Sean Drover largely ke- keeps things steady. He's a total rocker on Kingmaker. This album takes some getting used to, but if you can be in a forgiving mood, Super Collider has its merits. And Malcolm Dome from Classic Rock Magazine sang high praises for Super Super Collider, giving it an 8 out of 10, saying, Megadeth are in the middle of another classic period. While some of their peers have been struggling for a while to make relevant noises in the studio, Dave Mustaine and co. have been recording vital albums since 2009's Endgame, and their latest is destined to be regarded as one of Megadeth's most defining releases. The band have thrown off any preconceptions, ditched all of the cliches, and allowed their instincts to take over. As a result, this is an album that flows with neatly observed touches and overflows with some of the finest compositions and musicianship ever heard on a Megadeth album. Wait a second. (laughs) Has this man ever listened to Thrash? Yeah, I I was like... He said, ever since 2009's Endgame, they've been in a classic period. I was like, I feel like most people kind of feel like that started with The System Has Failed or uh, United Abominations, the two before that. I thought that was really weird, because... That is weird, but also, saying that this will go down as one of their most, what, highly regarded albums or something like that, it's... Even if it was a good album, I'm not saying it's not, even if it was one of their best albums, people aren't going to remember it as one of their best albums. Yeah, It doesn't fucking matter. It's... It, it's 20 years after the band was relevant, people are going to remember Rust in Peace. Yeah, it's like, even Endgame, which was, which is considered, like, the highlight of the band's late career, I mean, still, you're not, nine, nine out of ten people aren't going to pick that over Peace Cells, Rust in Peace, Countdown to Extinction. Like, when you're a band... Even, even So Far, So Good, So What, when Killing you're a Is band My Business, that, like... <laughs> when you're a band that's this big, it doesn't matter how good your later shit is. You're, most people that are not, like, hardcore fans are going to consider your best shit to be the shit they remember from 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, there's there's very rare cases where that can happen, like a later a later career yeah, album. Which I mean, is very rare. can't really think of any off the top of my head, but it happens sometimes. But yeah, for I feel like especially for uh, thrash bands and, like... Uh, I mean, the best thing I can think of is the Beatles. Their later career is more highly regarded yeah, than their early career. Yeah. But it wasn't that big of a career. Like, they were a band for, like, what, 10 years? Yeah, which is fucking insane. <laughs> Released like thirty albums. <laughs> Every time I think about that, I'm like, "What the fuck?" They like their best shit came in like a four year window. It's like, what the fuck? They released the two of their best albums in the same year. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. it shit ain't built like that anymore. Um, <laughs> drugs don't, drugs just don't work like that no more. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. But yeah, that was a very weird review. Which, like you said, I'm not, I. I'm not going to get into my main thoughts. I'm not going to say it's a great album. I'm not going to say it's awful. But 
Yeah, he's just staying there in the middle of another classic period. It's like it's I really feel like they weird. were kind of in the middle of that with Endgame, and we're kind of yeah. kind of getting out of it with the with thirteen and the super. Collider. It's okay to say that your favorite band is losing the edge. <laughs> I did it with Avenged Sevenfold years ago. <laughs> I mean, it it might be because he's from Classic Rock magazine, and this is more this is more, more of a classic rock, rock album. Yeah, so that that could be part of the reason. Neo classic rock. Neo classic rock, but. The absolute bombardment of negativity regarding Super Collider did kind of did little to set the band back. Uh, with their releases of Dystopia on January second of twenty six, January twenty second of twenty sixteen, that brought in Chris Adler, which he's from Lamb of God, fucking amazing drummer. Yeah, um, on drums, and then Kiki Lorero Lorero on guitar, and their newest release, The Sick, The Dying, and The Dead, released on September second of twenty two thousand twenty two. This time replacing Chris Adler with Dick, Dirk Verbieren. Uh, David Ellison actually recorded all the bass for this album, but after sexual misconduct allegations against him, he was dismissed from the band for his second departure from Megadeth, wow. and all of his parts were re-recorded by Steve DiGiorgio, which uh, he's from Testament, I believe. Okay. I think he's Testament's bassist, one of the really good uh, uh, classic thrash bassists. Yeah, Testament's yeah. a good band. It's not the big four. Yeah, but yeah, the not gonna really get into it because I, you know, I don't want to. I don't want to get sued. Yeah, but uh, the, we don't talk about allegations on this podcast. Yeah, we simply say that there were allegations and then we move on. Yeah, but it or seems else that, that Hulk Hogan episode would have gone very differently. Yeah, but I will say I one. I want to say I'm surprised that. Mustaine wanted to kick him out after that because I feel like Mustaine's the type of person Honestly, that would be like, I don't give a fuck. Base, more like Dave Moose Base. <laughs> Dave Moose, respecter of women. Dave Moose, respecter of women. But yeah, what what I read Mega was, respect for you, Dave. Yeah, what I read was that like at first it was reported that the girl that... It, it was basically like pictures of him sending dick pics linked on Twitter and it was said that the girl was underage that he was sending it to but then... Apparently him and the girl he was sending it to, like she said that she was of age. Okay. And so we'll really never know the whole. Yeah, like ordeal. she said she was of age, but I guess she still was saying that it was unsolicited. But then, like, I don't know. Either it's, way, it's a whole thing. Dave did the right thing. <laughs> um, allegations may be true or false. I am not a court of law. I yeah. Don't, I, it's not up for me to decide. But uh, based on Dave. Based on Dave. Um, based Mustaine. There we go. We got there. Yeah, we can only expect that by the next album, there will be another new face among this revolving door of members. But... I hope it's Ronnie Radke. Oh, God. Both of, but both of these uh, most recent albums have received most uh, have received positive reviews from fans and critics alike, and it seems that after the major stick in the spokes that was Super Collider, the band is in perhaps of the middle of another career renaissance. Hell yeah. <laughs> and now we get into the album. Okay, uh, first thoughts on the album. My first thoughts are really short. Not as bad as I expected it to be. Mm -hmm. that, that's it. That's, that was my first thought. It was like, yeah. wow. Yeah, I don't really have really any first thoughts either because the bulk of... I have a lot of ending thoughts after we're done with the track listing, but yeah, I'll agree with you. I mean, I didn't know what to expect. Like I said, I listened to their discography from start to finish to kind of get a feel for yeah. this album to see... Like, after... Because I had already listened to all the classic shit. And then, like, a few things from, like, later career, but never any later career full albums. Like, 
everything past Countdown to Extinction I had to listen to in full. So I wanted to get an idea for different things the band has done, different routes, just to see like how, because I was just expecting this to be like out of left field, like completely different from everything. But yeah, but it's I really, think it kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. Even not knowing that much about Megadeth's career, it, it felt like a Megadeth album to me. Yeah, I'd say it just feels like a hard rock toned down version of Megadeth for the most yeah, part. Yeah, it's, it's the Megadeth you have at home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. Like, it's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be, I think. And I don't think has any has any right to be considered anywhere near one of the worst albums of all time. Like, no, like not at all. Yeah, there's, but uh, the, there's nothing, like, overly egregious with anything on this album. Like, even, yeah. even my least favorite songs are not, like, the worst thing I've ever heard, so. Yeah. So, starting off with uh, Kingmaker, uh, I think it starts the album very strongly. It I mean, that's why. It's a really good album starter. It yeah. has a uh, really kick-ass bass intro. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a really thrashy song. Yeah, it is. It feels like, it doesn't quite feel like old Megadeth, but it gets into, like, the realm of old Megadeth. Yeah, for like, sure. It's a step in the line. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, it's a... Pretty fast pace and headbang inducing thrash song that kind of sounds like it could have been like an outtake outtake from maybe like post classic Megadeth. <laughs> yeah, like when they were uh, getting into more radio territory, but still staying with their thrash sound. Like it's kind of diet thrash, but <laughs> but yeah, it's a pretty good song. I mean, it has a catchy vocal line uh, in the verses, which yeah is kind of just children of the grave by black yeah. sabbath but it's still catchy it's nonetheless still catchy. i mean children of the grave is a good song yeah Sports exactly it off is gonna make a good song yeah and then uh, great instrumentation all around really good uh solos thrown in oh the solo rips yeah which megadeth solos yeah, always I, rip. I i couldn't put that for every song because i just mm. put it for this one because mm. the solos always rip yeah exactly yeah, I mean, it's nothing groundbreaking, but it does a good job at sounding modern and polished while still feeling uniquely Megadeth, in my opinion. Yeah. The lyrics are super mid. Yeah, I mean, Which it's... is another thing that I couldn't put for every song on the album, because the lyrics are just... This album does have really mid-fucking lyrics. Yeah, like, a lot of people pointed out how awful they are. I think they're, for the most part, very mid. Yeah, like, there's a couple songs where I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, bud? Yeah. But for the most part, it's just like... I don't, I don't care. And also, half of them I couldn't fucking hear. <laughs> yeah, I guess I guess it sort of makes sense that people had that gripe because Megadeth, at least in like a lot of their classic stuff, have really good... Like, Dave is yeah. usually a very good lyricist for the most part. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, they're, they're nothing awful here. Like, they're definitely less about political and, like, Oh, there's social. One, there's one political. One. Yeah, there is, but I mean, usually a Megadeth album is like that's what it focuses on is like the state of the world, the state of politics, and like nuclear war. I mean, basic thrash stuff. Yeah. And this album is mostly mostly goes for like what like so there's some like love song type lyrics, some like just dad boomer dad lyrics. I guess you could say he is kind of a boomer dad at this point. Yeah, but. Yeah, I mean, I think this song was, like, about drugs and broken homes, it seemed like. Yeah, And shit like that, so. And then we go into the title track, Super Collider. This is just an arena rock song. Yeah, I mean, I think people really, like, blew out of proportion the quality of this song. Like, people were acting like... It's not the worst song in the world. It is really generic. Yeah, it's generic, but that that guy saying even Bon Jovi wouldn't release this as a B-side. Bon Jovi would release this as a single. Yeah, like, this is this is nowhere near the corniness of a lot of Bon Jovi songs. Like, 
I'm uh, not even gonna lie. I enjoyed the song. I don't like the chorus. I mean, I think the chorus is the worst part of the song, but it's, overall, it's a pretty good song. The chorus is generic, but it, I have to admit, like, it's really catchy. It's really catchy. It's a really catchy song. Um, the yeah. solo is really short, mm -hmm. and it doesn't say anything. Like, you, usually, yeah. like, Megadeth solos will have something to say, which is something that a lot of bands can't say that they do. But, like, Megadeth mm. solos are usually like, here's what this solo wants to tell you. Yeah, exactly. And this one, it just doesn't. It's just like, hi. <laughs> Bye. And it's, it's just fucking... <laughs> It's what, like, 10 seconds of solo? Yeah, it's very, very short. But yeah, I mean, the lyrics are pretty mid. The music is, like, weirdly upbeat and cheerful, which I think is, like, the main thing that people were, like, so thrown off because, like you said, it's like an arena rock song. Yeah. Kind of kind of feeling, like, sort of glam metal-ish. Um, and, like, Day's voice is kind of a little iffy on it. Because he's more so, like, not really is going... Is this the one where he tries to do some cleans? But, like, you can tell he's never <laughs> done a clean vocal before in his life. I mean, I think there's a few times on this album where he does that. Okay, it's, it's really weird. I think there's one that I pointed out, but, like... He tries to do cleans, but you can tell this man doesn't know how to sing without putting 13 ounces of grit in his voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, there's he's hit some uh, actual singing notes on classic era Megadeth stuff. Yeah, he did. What happened? Because that was just like... <laughs> well, is he Louis Armstrong now? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But, but no, I mean, he's... I mean, say what you want to about his voice. Like, he definitely isn't the most talented, but he's good for what, what he does. Oh, he's good for what he does. Yeah. It's just like... Like, it fits the music. My problem isn't... And he's hit some high notes in the past, like, right off the top of my head, I can think of, in uh, uh, Holy Wars. Yeah, my problem isn't... It's not the thing, it's the fact that he's trying to not use grit, and you can tell, but hes it's still so gritty. Yeah. I don't know if this man's just smoked 13 packs a day for the last 40 years, or what? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea. Probably, but, honestly. Yeah, but, yeah, I think it's just all the things we said, like it just feeling more upbeat and, like, major key, I guess, for a Megadeth song is really why people were so negative towards it, but... I think it's a pretty good song overall. I can't yeah. even I can't even lie. I like it. Uh, then we get to Burn, which starts off with a really sick guitar solo. Yeah. Uh, but the solo is, again, really short. Yeah, it is very short. And I think it's the only solo in the song. Maybe. I, I think so. I can't... Honestly, can't which remember. Which is unfortunate, because, like, I want more solos out of this album. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this one starts off kind of as a mix of the first two tracks for me, because it's... Like you said, it starts off with a really good uh, mini solo. Then it leads into like a mid-tempo thrash verse kind of kind of something. I like, like the verse. Mm -hmm. I think the verse is really nice thrash. Yeah, it's like kind of sounds like something that could be on Countdown to Extinction, like kind of thrash light, like I guess. Yeah, which is, I feel like, similar to what Kingmaker was doing. But then the chorus and post-chorus bring, bring back like kind of the arena rock glam metal feel of God, the that... title track. My notes say exactly, but God, that chorus is sure something. <laughs> sure something. <laughs> yeah, people pointed out the chorus of the song like a lot for it's as not one of a the worst. Yeah, it's not. Um, there's some really nice lead bits sprinkled throughout this track. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's so yeah, it's kind of a kind of a mix of the first two tracks and that like it tries to bring back the or bring the uh, thrash light feel of Kingmaker and then like the arena rock feel of Super Collider and mix them together, but. 
yeah, it's to varying degrees of success. But it also does like this really awkward thing around the three minute mark where the third verse finishes, the chorus goes through again. And then after the chorus, it has like a solo being performed underneath the... Yeah, and yeah. it drowns out the vocals, kind of. Yeah, like it, yeah. like a solo is performed underneath, um, and it like kind of brings the tempo of the song up and the intensity, and then it kind of builds up, and then it starts to fade out, and you feel like the song is going to end. But yeah, then it you just, think the song's going to end, and then yeah. it just goes right back into the chorus again. I, well, no, it goes, I think it goes into a... It goes it back goes into in, something. It goes into a fourth verse. A fourth verse, and it's like... And then it does the chorus dude, again. Dude, shut the fuck up. We yeah. get it. This yeah. song is eight minutes long. Shut the fuck up. I mean, it's not even it's not even that long. Like with that, I think it's I think the song in total is about four and a half minutes. But like, yeah, all the songs in this album are pretty short. I think the longest yeah. one's like six. Yeah, like, exactly. But yeah, like it, the song would have been a whole lot better to me if it just ended where it just faded out. Yeah, because it was just really weird. Because every time it kind of threw me off. Because yeah, it really like fades almost completely out. Like. And then it doesn't fade back and it just goes immediately like boom. Yeah, it's 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 very weird. Like I don't know why they why he felt that there needed to be a fourth verse and another inclusion of the chorus. But yeah, that that brought this. I mean, the song wasn't any one of my favorites to begin with, but that definitely brought it down a it lot. It took the I was song like, from like high mid to low mid. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't I don't really know. That was weird. I mean, if you were gonna do a fourth person then another chorus like i don't see why you had to fade out the song like it didn't yeah, bring any it, it didn't bring anything new to it so except for awkwardness yeah exactly um then we get to what i think is the worst song on the album built for war built for war yeah uh, it it feels like lulu <laughs> what with the built for war built for war yeah <laughs> yeah it's very weird like it's probably the heaviest song on the album which the first time I listened through was kind of a plus for me, but the more I listened to it, it just feels really awkward and disjointed. Like it doesn't make sense in the album. It feels like it also feels like a man trying to sing in a time signature he's never heard of before. Yeah, exactly. Which, yeah, it might be because as a guitar player, he's trying to mimic his guitar, mm -hmm. so he's playing in that time signature. He's not trying to sing in like something that would make sense. He's just being like, "Well, the guitar's going." Dun, 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 which it does that's, that's a different that's a different imagine if, if in that song he was like well i went down to the corner store right yeah. like it'd be bad yeah it's just the majority of the song is built around essentially a note for note copy and a sped up version of uh an interlude riff from take the power back by rage against the machine did oh, God, you? is it? No, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I've, it's... Uh, I didn't genius anything on this album, by the way. I was like, I don't fucking care about the lyrics that much. Yeah. I can't hear them. They don't matter. Yeah. Except for one lyric, which we'll get to later. But yeah, like the whole... It's like... It's like... Yeah. Okay. Like that whole, that whole uh, thing I just did is literally like... In Take the Power Back, there's an interlude that is towards the end of the song that... It, it literally is that same exact thing, but they just do it a little faster here. Huh. Like, as soon as I heard it, I was like, where the fuck have I heard this? And I was like, oh, yeah, Rage Against the Machine. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that was, uh, if, if Dave realized he was doing that or not. But... Probably not. <laughs> uh, the bridge is really interesting, musically. But I think it's another part where, like, there's a solo and vocals at the same time, and the solo is just kind of, like, a little too loud, and the vocals are a little too quiet. So you can, you can mm -hmm. hear them both, but both of them are muddied. Mm-hmm. Okay, but yeah, um, but yeah, over that riff that rips Raging Against the Machine, 
this that's where the awkward part you're co- you're uh, talking about comes in because it literally just over that he says built for war what do you think your fists are for over and over and over every time that that guitar part plays he does that and then it has another riff that comes in that i guess is like the main verse where yeah he like kind of sing talks over it and it feels like he's like either i mean i guess like kind of slightly behind the guitar like it, yeah. it makes it feel really disjointed time. and then at the end of every line he's just going built for war yeah like the the riff is very fast paced and his vocal ki- line is kind of like it's lilting. It's kind of like no 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 built for war. Like <laughs> it, yeah, it's really it's weird. Not great. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's pretty jarring. Um, it's my le- it's definitely my. Le- I'm gonna go and spoil it. This is my least favorite song on the album. The only one I would consider a least favorite. Okay, but yeah, it's it's kind of a rinse repeat for the whole runtime of that with besides that bridge and the solo. Yeah. Uh, that you're talking about. Uh, and then that goes to Off the Edge, which to me kind of feels like a beefier Nickelback song. <laughs> uh, the first line of my notes is, Old Man Yells at Clouds while Cool Thrash plays in the background. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is just what this song is. He's just like yelling about like, what if the government was out to get me type <laughs> shit. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty pretty uninspired and repetitive lyrics with the majority of lines being al- along uh, the lines of, I'm going crazy. This world's gone crazy. Like he literally says that about yeah. six or seven different it's like, times. It's also, it's another one that's like kind of Lulu-esque. Not as bad. Mm. It's not as bad as Built for War, but it's like kind of has the same like Lulu, which talk singing is something that Dave Mustaine has done successfully in yeah. um, Sweating Bullets. Yeah. He's, yeah. And a few other songs. Yeah. I don't know why he can't do it anymore. Yeah. Like Sweating Bullets, uh, Symphony of Destruction. That's kind of what he's known for really. Yeah. There's, there's a good amount of songs where he does that. But yeah, I don't know. This one, the vocal pattern seems like really generic and kind of the song overall reminds me of like 2000s butt rock, honestly. Like <laughs> like it kind of has that feel going for it. There's a decent solo that kind of breaks up the monotony, but overall this one's kind of a stinker one in my opinion. It's definitely not my least favorite. Okay. But then that goes to Dance in the Rain, which is featuring David Draymond. See, I didn't, I didn't get that part. Um... Probably because the vocals are buried the entire song. But yeah, this one I will agree. This, I this could is not one. hear a single fucking word anyone was saying. Yeah, this is one that I'll agree with that. Especially David Draymond's part. Like, you can't... Like, I don't know if they would have made the vocals more clear if his inclusion would have felt more warranted, but... It's not, even, it's not even, like, credited on Spotify as... Like, yeah, it's not. I only know it because it was on Wikipedia... Which, when you're listening to the part, you can tell that it's him, but, like, if you didn't know, you would just think it was Dave, like, it, because it, it's kinda drowned sound, out. They kind of sound the same yeah. when it's drowned out like that. Yeah, because it's so drowned out. I will agree with that. Like, it's, it makes his inclusion feel not necessary, because <laughs> it doesn't really, doesn't really bring anything different to the song. Um, but the song is, like, it, it would be really sick if it was, it's like a thrash metal spoken word song. Yeah, it's a pretty it's a pretty decent song. Which is what Lulu tried to do, but this one would have done it right. Yeah. The mixing had been fucking better. <laughs> yeah, it starts out pretty uh, mid tempo with some I would say some of the better lyrics of the of the almost said of the song of the album. I, I couldn't hear them. <laughs> it kind of is talking about like just being tired of being a member of society and like day to day nine to five shit. But then he talks about like Big Brother watching you. Society. Yeah, he talks about like being a like I guess specifically being a gas station pump attendant like what the fuck yeah like it literally says something about like 
pumping gas like as as your job and like Big Brother watching you. Is that I don't know. even still a job? Uh, in uh, New Jersey and Oregon, those are the only two states that uh, you don't self pump your own gas. And I only I'm know that gonna pay extra money for someone else to pump my gas. Yeah, the only reason I know that is because me and my wife we went on our honeymoon to Portland, Oregon. Uh, and you weren't allowed to pump your own gas. No, we only had to get gas one time down there. We had a rental, because, uh, I mean, all the way across the fucking country, we flew there. Um, really cool place, but, yeah, it was very weird, because we pulled into a gas station, and all of a sudden, this dude just comes strolling up, and we were both kind of like, uh, because... Oh, we about to get robbed? Well, no, I mean, he had, like, a name tag. Like, you could tell he worked there, but I was like, why is this dude walking up? Did we do something wrong? Like, I don't understand. And we hop out, and he's kind of just standing there and we're like hey how's it going and he just is like uh do you want me to do your card for you like like get your uh, shit for you and we were like what do you mean and he was like oh like i'm gonna pump your gas for you <laughs> and we were like oh <laughs> we were like yeah we're, we're from fucking tennessee we don't we didn't know we don't sound like we're from here you could explain something a little faster <laughs> yeah it was we, it, it was very awkward because we were just like fish out of water. We were like, "Why does it help that you both look like you would live in Portland?" <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess I could see that. I also live like I would. I live like I would look in. <laughs> I look like I would live in Portland. Yeah, but yeah. So I looked it up, and Oregon and New Jersey are the only two states. But yeah, the whole time we were down there, pretty much everybody that we talked to was like, "Where, where are you guys from?" <laughs> Mostly probably because of me. Like, I, my wife doesn't really have an accent at all. Oh, but... we sound. I sound worse than you do, but we both kind of sound like hillbillies sometimes. <laughs> sometimes, yeah. But, yeah, either way. <laughs> Point being. Yeah, um, we just went on a tangent of pumping, people pumping your terrible, gas from a Megadeth song. Terrible job, Megadeth. Why would you sing about that one over, like, I don't know, being an office worker that people in 48 more states can relate to? Yeah, it, yeah, it was weird. And then, um, yeah, I don't know why Big Brother would be watching a gas station attendant, but okay. But... Uh, something something firebomb something something <laughs> but towards the end of the song it really picks up it speeds up the tempo with a good solo and like a really really groovy bass line underneath i don't know if you caught that i did catch the bass there's a pretty sick bass line underneath it because unfortunately all you can hear is the instrument yeah and then it leads into david draymond's part of the song um and it really picks up the heaviness when draymond comes in uh and like i said it's not a bad feature but doesn't really feel needed yeah. for the most part but decent song decent song yeah uh, then we get to the beginning of sorrow. Mm, this is probably the one I have the least to say. I don't have album. a lot to say about this one. Uh, the bass intro rips, and mm -hmm. it's kind of a new metal song. You think so? Yeah, it, it, okay. it feels kind of like not like rap metal, new metal, but like <laughs> kind of corn new metal. I mean, they're kind of rap. They rap. Yeah, but it's like a different like I'm not not like Linkin Park new metal. Yeah, but like corn new metal. Like okay. Maybe more like Deftones new metal. Okay. Yeah, I mean, to me, it sounded kind of like something that could be on Load or Reload by Metallica. Which is proto-new metal. Proto-new metal. You heard it here first, guys. Proto-new metal. What the, yeah, it's proto-new metal after Korn's first album release. I, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> I think proto-new metal is just metal. <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, kind of, for me, it just kind of feels like that radio alternative new metal feel. Or alternative new metal, alternative metal feel. Um, I've really nothing to say much. Like it's pretty. It's, not, it's it's a pretty boring song. Also, the vocals are buried again. Yeah. In this one. Yeah, it's pretty mid and boring. It's it's not awful, but yeah, nothing really memorable. 
memorable here. Then we get to a song that I actually like a lot. Black Blackest Crow. Crow. Uh, really sick bluegrass intro. And the banjo just keeps going. Yeah. Uh, and I came up with three possible genre descriptors <laughs> for this song. Uh, so we got cow thrash. Cow thrash. Uh, thrash folk. And my personal favorite, blue thrash. Blue thrash. I like cow thrash. You like, I like cow thrash one. more? I like yeah. blue thrash because it's kind of like a play on bluegrass. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's already cowpunk with, like, social distortion. So yeah, that's, we, that's where we, I got cow thrash. Yeah, we can have cow, cow thrash. I like that one. But yeah, it's kind of a country-twinged breakup song. Um, and after a solo around the midpoint, it sounds like it's going to kind of transition into full-fledged full thrash, which it never does. And I think it would have been better if it did. Yeah, I think it would have been. Yeah, but, the cow I mean, thrash stuff is really fun. Yeah, like it's, it's... And the solo is really interesting. Yeah, like it's it's a good song. Like, I like it. Yeah, I really, I really I, like this I song. I think it would have been really cool if they did um, kind of like... Dance in the Rain, where it started off really slow, and then it got really, like, brought up the intensity towards the end. I felt like that would have really worked to the song's favor to kind of switch up the feel of it, but yeah. it's still a good song. Let's see. And then there's Forget, Forget to, to remember, remember, which is another kind of glam, uh, arena rock-inspired song with kind of some new wave of British heavy metal influence thrown in there that I caught. Um, it's kind of shitty. Really? I really I, like this one. I like the intro riff. Uh, I don't like the vocals, and the chorus is just kind of shitty. Really? I, I'm i not even going to lie. I really like the chorus. Like, I thought it was really, really good and catchy. I don't know. But yeah. to be fair, I'm a... I'm a self-admitted uh, glam metal apologist. We both like different shitty music. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a fucking major fan of glam metal, but I mean, when I, it's I hate glam metal. Like, I, I like, I like a decent amount of it. I like glam metal revival. Okay. It's like Blackville Brides and stuff, which is also cringe in a different way. Yeah, but I'm not even gonna lie. Like I, I really fuck with this one. It's it's catchy as fuck in my opinion. Lyrics are sort of decent. Like it's not. It's not anything amazing, but it's not awful, and it feels pretty anthemic. Uh, and yeah, I like the main riff. It's it's simple but catchy and effective. Yeah, I don't like the solo much, except for one really good plus side. It buries the fuck out of the vocals. Okay, <laughs> more more buried vocals. Well, they're good in this because I hate the fucking vocals. <laughs> um, then we get to turn. Don't turn your back. Don't turn your back. Which starts off as a John Mayer song, pretty much. Yeah, it has like a blue guitar lick over just like a basic guitar, like blue. Bluesy like guitar and yeah. bass riff. And then it just goes into, like, some of the most insane thrash you've ever heard. <laughs> I want to say if it's one of the most insane. Okay, but it's... Maybe for this album. For this album. Maybe it's just, like, in the context of the album. I hadn't I haven't listened to a lot of thrash before this. Like, in a, in a long time. It's been mm -hmm. a while since I've listened to thrash. So I was like, oh my god, this is insane. <laughs> no, I mean... It's it, probably pretty mid. Yeah, it goes into, uh... Like, probably the thrashiest riff on the album. Uh, pretty thrashy and bouncy. Like, has a yeah. good drum beat to it. Uh, the mix on this song is really good. Mm -hmm. We don't talk about production a lot, but sometimes you have to talk about... The production on this song, specifically, is really good. Yeah, I don't know shit about the intricacies of production. I mean, the production on the whole album is I just know if it's good or bad. Yeah, the production on the whole album is good, except for, I guess, the vocals in some parts. Yeah. But, instrument-wise... Uh, even I mean, even, like, even the vocals are mixed really well mm -hmm. for this. But um, the vocals, however, are pretty good in the verse, pretty bad in the chorus. Really? <laughs> it seems to be like a pretty common thread of this album, where like the chorus is just like, shut the fuck up, Dave. <laughs> I mean, I I disagree. I, I like the chorus on this one. I think it's catchy and anthemic. 
kind of like forget to remember in Super Collider. <laughs> you you just probably, like Arena Rock. I'm probably bro. in the minority. You're a Bon Jovi fan. Oh God, no. I am a glam metal apologist, but I do not like I'm Bon not Jovi. A bon Jovi apologist. No, not Bon Jovi. Oh, you just have that one really good song. Uh, I like Dead or Alive. Dead or Alive. I really yeah. like that song. But yeah, I'd say this one for the most part sounds not exactly, but is kind of one of the parts on that uh, whole album that touches almost close to like classic era Megadeth. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe post classic era where they were still they were kind of thrashy like thrash thrashy light. radio rock yeah yeah the thrash you have at home yeah exactly so I, 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 I think like it's this a one. good song and it I has just like, don't a, like the chorus yeah and it has like a couple of really good and like bluesy guitar solos yeah which I guess is why they had that blues bluesy intro to kind of get the feel of it but yeah, yeah. It's, it's really it's a really interesting thing for them to do and I really I'm really glad they did it mm-hmm. honestly uh, then we get to the final track on the album Cold Sweat and did you know this one is a cover. Is it? Yeah. I thought it was a failed Stone Cold Steve Austin song. No, it's a fucking uh, cover of Thin Lizzy. Oh. Yeah. Because it sounds like he's going Stone Cold Stunner and Stone Cold Sweat. <laughs> Stone Cold Stunner. It's Stone Cold Sober. Ah. Stone Cold, Stone Cold Stunner. Stone Cold Stunner and Stone Cold Sweat. I was Bruh. like, fuck yeah. <laughs> I like Stone Cold. Fuck yeah. Damn. Did I ruin it for you? I'm just, I'm gonna get, like, the, by, by the final time I listened to it, I was like, that's not saying Stone Cold Stunner, okay, he's saying yeah. something else. Yeah, you just thought it did it But first. I refused to look it up. Yeah. But so yeah, I'm just no. gonna continue to believe these, that it's a Stone Cold Steve Austin okay. thing. It's just butt rock. Really? This is something Casey would listen to. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I, I really like this one. Oh, I don't, I don't hate, I like butt rock. Yeah. I, like, this is like a, um, not P.O.D., um, what's a butt rock song? Butt rock guys. What are some butt rock guys? I mean, Nickelback. Some butt uh, rock guys. Hinder. Stained. This hinder. is like some stained or hinder shit. Hinder. Saving Abel. Buck Cherry. This <laughs> is very Buck Cherry. Uh, Seether. It, it's mostly Seether. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is a Seether song. It's there gi- we go. We got there. It's giving Seether. It's, it's giving Seether. <laughs> <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, I think it's like a really, really strong cover. Like I like it yeah, a lot. Yeah. Knowing that it's a cover, it's really good. Yeah. Um, it is, however, a kind of weak album closer. But you I guess so? being a cover, it's not anymore. Okay. If it was an original, I'd be like, this is a weak album closer. Hmm. Being a cover and being about Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> pretty strong. Yeah, I think I, I think it ends the album on a pretty positive note. And I went back and listened to the original when the original was really good. Uh, but I think Megadeth like takes a really catchy, I'd say, proto-thrash song. The Thin Lizzy original came out in 83, which at that point Kill Em All by Metallica had already been released, but... But Thrash wasn't like the phenomenon it would later Yeah, Thrash was in its infancy, so it was pretty pretty cool to hear Thin Lizzy doing something this heavy, because the original, while not as heavy as this cover, is still like pretty heavy, uh, given what it is, but I think they take that kind of proto-thrash song and make it heavier and honestly a little better in my opinion, and it kind of feels like it was tailor-made for Megadeth to cover like listening to it I was like I could I could definitely see why they covered this and uh actually on the Wikipedia article it reported that apparently Dave had said that they've been wanting to cover this album or this this song since like the 80s but they just never got around to it it. yeah and they finally got around to it 40 years after the band was early it was made and 40 years after the song was (laughs) released. well no at this point it was 30 years 2013 right yeah 30 years but yeah and has a really fucking kick-ass solo yeah it is a really kick-ass solo. which in the original they they didn't really change the solo in the original it's like really tappy which is really weird and cool to hear thin lizzie do yeah i didn't know thin lizzie had that in them yeah apparently must have thick fingers yeah i read (laughs) i read about the uh 
about the actual original song and apparently they took uh influence by van halen and like other other acts at the it, time it is very van halen and van halen is kind of like without van halen i don't think thrash would sound the way it does yeah d- definitely not much as i don't like van halen's music one of the most influential guitarists of all time you don't like van halen i thought you did i like i like the stuff without vocals <laughs> okay I, I, you like the i'm not a sam hagar fan sammy hagar uh, fucking David Lee Roth. David I, Lee Roth. I'm not a fan of him. I don't. I. I don't. I don't like Van Hagar. I fucking hate Van Hagar. But I love like uh, Van Halen's I just can't get, first. It's, it's the instrumental stuff that because like the instrumental stuff really shows off how good Van Halen is as a guitarist. How good the whole band is. Yeah. Um. So I, I like the instrumental Van Halen stuff a lot. I like Van Halen Guitar Hero because uh, they're very fun to play. I mean, uh, but other than that, I'm not a Van Halen band fan. I'm a Van Halen guitarist fan. Okay. I mean, I. Yeah, I I can uh catch us next week covering the worst Van Halen album. That's probably one. Oh God, yeah, no, I I know exactly the one. It was it was after Van Hagar. They had this random uh, I don't even fucking know his name. This random dude was on this one album. I think it was Van Halen three. <laughs> and it's yeah yeah it's like yeah we're gonna do Van Halen one and two as our first two albums and then just I think it was like nineteen ninety nine or something. On our third vocalist, Never mind. Van Halen I'm, 3. I'm not listening to Van Halen from 1999. Yeah, no, it sounds miserable. I've heard it's pretty shitty. Uh, so, uh, favorite songs in the album? I got I got five this time, because oh, there are five that I really, really liked. Only two that I would uh, say I disliked, and even the two I disliked aren't awful. Uh, and then everything else is just kind of there. Like, it's pretty decent. But my favorites are Kingmaker, Forget to Remember, Don't Turn Your Back, Cold Sweat, and Super Collider. And okay. I, w- I would say my absolute favorite is, pro- it's it's definitely between Forget to Remember and Cold Sweat. Okay, my favorite in order, uh, Blackest Crow is my most favorite, and then uh, Cold Sweat, just because of the Stone Cold Stunner part. <laughs> Stone Cold Stunner and, and Stone, Stone Cold, Cold Sweat. Sweat, and then Kingmaker. <laughs> okay. So you got three? Yeah, I just got three. And then uh, my least favorites are just Built for War and Off the Edge. Oh. And it's mostly just Built for War. That, that's literally my two least favorites. Yeah, I would say Built for War is definitely the worst Built song. Built for War. Is definitely the worst song on the album, which which sucks because even though it's, a, like I said, feels like a copy of uh, that one riff from Take the Power Back, it still is like a instrumentally it's an incredible song yeah it's a really good song the problem is the vocals yeah it really ruins it it just makes it feel really fucking awkward and disjointed and then off the edge like we said it's just really boring and yeah it's just kind of annoying hearing him say uh the world's going crazy i'm going crazy like he says that way too many times society i'm just like shut the fuck up <laughs> dave mustaine should have played the joker in the fucking new <laughs> no walking phoenix it should have just been dave mustaine i'd watch it's it like Hello, me. We live in a society. <laughs> uh, sorry to our editor, who's going to have to make that a lot quieter. <laughs> sorry, Ryan. Hello, editor. Please make that quieter. But, um, but yeah, okay, so closing thoughts. I'll let you get to yours first, because mine are a little long. My closing thoughts, um, it's just not, it's just kind of a mid-album with some high points. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's like their career, it is a roller coaster. It has some high points, it has some low points, but it's mostly in the middle. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's a good assessment. Um, I'm gonna say, I don't think this is Megadeth's worst album. Is it thirteen? I don't think it's their second worst album. Is that thirteen? I don't think it's their third or their fourth. 
What's their 13th I think it's their, album? I think it's their best. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's, it's definitely not their best. But, no, like, really, it's only my fifth least favorite Megadeth album. Um, oh, God, you do have the whole list. Okay, yeah. you, got, you got some, you got some blank I w- spaces. I was doing a ranking, yeah, that'll that'll be to get to. Um, that'll be posted on the, uh, the Facebook page. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, like, anybody cares what my Megadeth ranking is. Well, yeah. That- I'm I'm not gonna get to to an entire ranking here because that would take too long. But because there's 16 fucking albums. Yeah, but I will get to the ones that I think uh, Super Clatter is better than. Uh, my least favorite is by far Risk. That is the only, and I'm gonna say like the only Megadeth album that I would give below five stars is Risk. Like I, it's and I mean even then I would give it probably like four four and a half. Okay. Like nothing that they've made in my I'll opinion. I'll skip that one when I listen to Megadeth. I mean, I'd say I'd say still listen to it if if you have the time to just to get a feel. Uh, but yeah, Risk is my least favorite, and even then, it's not anywhere near like worst album of all time territory for me. Uh, it has it has two songs that I actually like, which are the first two track or yeah, first two tracks, and then everything else is pretty shitty. Then uh, oh, just a barely above that is the world needs a hero. <sighs> It's pretty mid. Like, there's only one song that I actually really enjoy from the album. I forget what the song is. I'd say everything else is pretty mid for the most part. Like, I'd probably give this album a solid five. Like, it's it's kind of just there. Um, I like two songs from Risk and only one from The World Needs a Hero. Like, actually really enjoy enough to, like, add to a playlist. Yeah. But I think just, like... Overall, it's, it's better. Yeah, overall, it's better. But... And then uh, those are, like, by far my two least favorite Megadeth albums. And just above that, probably the most controversial, I have Euthanasia. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Like, you just don't like it? It's very well-reviewed. I just don't, like... It, like, in my opinion, it kind of has the same vibe of 13 and Super Collider, where it's, like, mm. that... Like, the dad rock kind of... Uh, just built for radio feel but it's just not done really effectively here like i don't know but i would still give it like probably probably like a five and eh, five five and a half and then uh right below super collider i have 13 which is kind of the same album as super collider at number 13 yeah which is kind of the same feel as super collider but slightly worse super collider yeah like it's it's longer and uh has more mid songs than super collider i think like there's only about four songs from 13 that i like really really like the the rest is just pretty mid whereas super collider there's five or five six songs he's really like five songs i really like that's a good amount of the album yeah exactly yeah and super collider is what nine tracks uh th- ten tracks? i think 13? ten yeah ten. and it goes by in a breeze like yeah it's a really short it's not even like it's not even like it's a really short album it's a good length yeah but yeah, I guess that's uh, probably my hottest, one of my hottest takes on the podcast, probably. But yeah, I think it's their 12th best album. <laughs> okay. I mean, hey, that's out of 16, that's like being the third best out of four. Mm-hmm. Number number three ain't bad. <laughs> number three ain't bad. Top three-fourths. Top three-fourths. But yeah, like I said, like nothing, nothing Megadeth. Or only one is, like, below uh, mid-score for me. Like, 5 out of 5, Risk is the only one that... Or 5 out of 10, Risk is the yeah. only thing that goes below that. Did you get your aggregate scores? Yeah. Um, 
from Rate Your Music, it holds a 2.7 from 5 out of 5 from 2,800. So that's a 5.5. That's a 5. Mm-hmm. From 2,857 reviews. So, pretty good amount of reviews. I, yeah, I give this album 6.7. I give it it's, a... It's a pretty solid album. I give it a 6.5. Yeah, like <laughs> so we're right there. It's a pretty solid album. Like, there's only the two songs I would consider bad. And even just one of them, like, pretty much only the one is actually... Like, Bill for War is the only one that I would be like, I'm never listening to this again. Yeah, exactly. Like, if, um... Whatever the other one is called, don't turn your back. No, uh, 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 I hate the I hate the name. I hate the song. Off title. the edge. Off the edge. If off the edge came on, I wouldn't skip it. Yeah, like it's, I don't think it's not completely awful. It's just pretty boring. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I guess from our scores, we would both say that this needs one last breath. I yeah, mean, we it gave it a positive does. score. It definitely needs one last breath. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you're a huge fan of Megadeth, which before beforehand uh listening to all their albums i would have considered myself like huge fan of their early stuff yeah after, you went through and listened to everything yeah after listening to everything like like i said like nothing nothing by them except for one album i would give below five out of ten and then super collider at a 6.5 is only 12 out of my favorites so like literally there's that's that's 11 albums that i give a pretty positive review to like I think they're an amazing band, and they've had their they are on like a roller coaster, like you said, for their career. Yeah. But I mean, even after the classic era, like they have some really really good shit. Like those three high points in the mid two thousands before thirteen and Super Collider are really good. And I would every even... both albums after Super Collider are really yeah. good. Like I don't know, they're they're like a really fucking good band. So I mean, if you're a huge fan of them. You I can might not like it. Yeah, like I can see why people don't like it. But, but if you're just a casual thrash enjoyer, or just a casual metal enjoyer, or you're just like, you just want a good album to listen to and be like, maybe I'll find some cool songs off this. Listen to Super Collider by yeah. Megadeth. Yeah, and I mean, if you're a butt rock fan, a glam metal fan, an arena rock fan, classic rock, hard rock, like if that's you that's like more what this album that's is. Guitar led. You like this? Yeah. Yeah, like I think most of it's well done. Like nothing, like nothing is like top tier Megadeth, but a lot of it's probably like top tier butt rock. Honestly, like I do love top tier butt rock. Like I mean, this is Megadeth doing doing arena butt rock, and I think they pull it off really well. Yeah, I and think they um, do. yeah, I mean, listen to it, uh, and we will see you next week with something. God, probably worse. Yeah, I think it probably will be worse.